Luke chapter 20, uh, we'll be looking at verses 9 through 18, and and I want to ask a question as we do that. Uh, It's a simple question, but it's also a really difficult one. What is sin? What is it? We talk about it a lot, right? Um, we all say we're, we're battling sin. We, we, we've gone through the last couple of weeks talking about the essential nature of the gospel. And that's really the theme of the parables, specifically the ones told by Jesus. Uh, he talks about the gospel quite a bit. And, and we talk about sin all throughout that. But what is it? How do we fight it? Where does it start? You know, a lot of us think of sin as this, this thing that we do. Right? Like, uh, of, uh, I said that, that, that mean thing to someone, that's the sin. Well, yes, that is sin, but that's not where it starts. So today we're really looking at what is the, the core root of sin? Where does it come from? How can we really fight it? And I don't think that we can fight it unless we get this. Because, uh, you know, it's one thing... Uh, It would be like going to the doctors and all the doctor is doing is treating the symptoms. Treating the symptoms of, all right, well, you know, uh, you've you've got some kind of allergy. I'll just take something for the hives, but nothing for the allergy. Or keep on eating that thing that you're allergic to. All right, we got to understand the root problem uh, before we're able to actually solve what's going on. And that's what Jesus is really talking about here in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20. Uh, Starting at verse 9, we'll read through verse 18, then we'll pray, and then we'll study it together. And he began to tell the people, him being Jesus, tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long time. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat him. And treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. Verse 12. And he sent a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to uh, themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again we come before you asking that you would be with us now. Lord, we, we worship you in everything that we do. And even now as we hear from your word and apply it to our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit, we, we desire to worship you through this. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand this text today. Uh, help us to understand what, what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, Lord, and that as we think about that and understand it, that we would apply it to our lives, that we would even walk away from this building changed, not because of what Pastor Dean says, but because of what your word says. 
uh, Lord, that we would understand what your will is for us and that your will is for us to fight our sin and to do it at the root. Uh, I pray that you just be with us now. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this, this parable, I, I will say, is my favorite parable. I, I, I know, uh, you know it's kind of a bad thing to say, all right, well, this part of the Word of God is my favorite compared to that other part, but it, I, I can't help it. It's true. Uh, this is my favorite parable because in it we see uh, a, a grand scope of humanity. Uh, a lot of the parables are very narrow, right? Uh, pun intended with the narrow door, but they're, they're very narrow. It's, it's this person means that, this person means that, and it, it's very limited to a certain, uh, certain time frame, even to uh, certain people, right? Most of the parables are about the Pharisees. And even today we'll talk a little bit about how this is true of them as well. But here we kind of have more of Jesus taking a step back. Because uh, there's, there's a question that's really being asked of Jesus, and he's saying, all right, in order for you to understand what's going on, you have to step back and see what's really happening throughout all of history. All right, so when we're going to a parable, uh, the three things that we need to understand, I say this all the time because I really want you to know it, is we need to understand why a parable is being given, understand the cultural details, and understand the desired outcome. So that first one, the why. Why is this parable being given? Well, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 20 tell us. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple... In preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us, and here's the question, by what authority you do these things, or who it is that gave you this authority. Now, they're not just talking about Jesus coming in and teaching and preaching, uh, because that's actually pretty common. It wouldn't be that, that odd of a thing for someone in the city to come in and do some teaching and preaching. Uh, it, it was actually pretty common. Uh, but there, there was something that happened right before this that really set them all off. All right, we see, uh, maybe even your Bible says it in the, the titling there, verses 45 uh, through the end of the chapter in uh, chapter 19. What's happening? Is Jesus cleaning house? Right? We see it. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And was teaching daily in the temple. So this is him going at it. We even see uh, in other places of him getting a whip. Right? And driving people out. Right, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty hardcore, right? Like he's, he's just going in there and, and, he's, and he's cleaning up shop. And so for these guys, the chief priests, uh, the scribes and the elders, they see that and go, whoa, 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 whoa hey. Who, who gives you the right to do this? Right? And then Jesus comes in and he's preaching and teaching. And, and so it's just escalating this. And they're, they're saying, by what authority? By what authority are you doing this? And that's really the key to this whole parable. That word, authority. Well, uh, as human beings, we don't like authority. Right? No one likes to be in submission to someone else. It's not an enjoyable experience for us. We understand that. Our Facebook memes show that. We don't like authority. We see everyone posting things, although Canada Day was last week, so that, that's when all the government memes become uh, really positive, right, uh, around then. But most of the time, they're not, right? We're talking, we're talking about this thing I don't like about the government, that thing I don't like about the government, uh, and we don't like authority. 
We, we just don't. Uh, it's why it's so hard for people in this day and age to understand the biblical concept of marriage. Right? For, for a, a wife, as God's word says, to be in submission to her husband, that's, that's a very difficult thing to grasp in this day and age. Right? Uh, we don't like being in submission. We don't like being an authority. We like the rebel. We're all about the rebel. Right? Uh, when we're watching a movie or reading a book, uh, you are automatically, just within your own human nature, who are you really uh, uh, connecting with as you're reading that? What characters are you connecting with? Are you connecting with the authority types? Or are you connecting with the rebel? Most likely, you're going to connect with that rebel. It's why it's so popular uh, in, in movies to have that, uh, that anti-hero. You know, someone who doesn't really fit the, the usual concepts of a hero. He does it his own way, and there's a rebellious nature to that. Because that's who we are as individuals. We rebel. Right? Uh, but here we see that the, the question is really coming down to authority. And by whose authority is Jesus doing this, of cleansing the temple, of preaching and teachings? And the Pharisees, we see, are really the ones who are asking this question. And they, themselves, in asking it, are rebelling. And I don't, I don't think they fully grasp that. But they're, they're rebelling in how they are saying, what gives you the right because again, we have to step back in order to understand this parable and really what Jesus is doing here. We have to step back and ask ourselves, what is happening? How did we get here? Well, we understand what's going on. This is the God of the universe. Uh, like I said, the, the one who, who put the stars in its place, who, who, who made everything in Genesis 1. That same God who throughout the Old Testament worked with Israel, who, who loved them, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, who saved them from countless countries, who, who used them, who, who worked among them, who showed them compassion. That same God now has put on human flesh. Uh, John 1, verse 1, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, that Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. All right, so the Word, Jesus, became flesh. That God of the universe became flesh. He's there now. And, and these Pharisees are asking God himself, what gives you the right to tell me what to do? That's where this parable begins, verse 9. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went to another country for a long, long time. All right, so the, the man owns it. It's his. All right, so he has the right. He has the right to do with it whatever he wants. If he wanted to destroy everything and sell it, he could have done that. But instead of doing anything like that, he's going to go on this trip, and he lends it out to the tenants. So the tenants, we need to understand what their obligation is. While the the owner is the one who, who runs it. He, he could use it as, at his pleasure. He could do whatever he wants with it. The tenants don't have that luxury, do they? All right, the tenants, they, they use the land. And they use it at the owner's permission. All right, they're a tenant. They don't, uh, you know, Heather and I, we're renting. Uh, we're renting a condo. And, and so we don't get to do whatever we want with that place, right? Uh, if, if we want to uh, put in a, a shelf, 
We need to make sure that the, the screws that we use are, are, are the ones that, that are outlined in, in our agreement of ones that can be used in that. We don't get to decide even the screws, right? Because it's not ours. We're using it. That's the idea here. There is an owner of the vineyard, and these tenants are using his property. And they're using it uh, to make some money as well. All right? uh, and, and, they, and they do this. We see this. A man planted a vineyard and led out to tenants, went to another country for a long time. And then something is going to happen. All right? um, now, th- now this idea that goes away for a long time, some people really jump to conclusions. Um, I, I was having this discussion with uh, someone. I forget who it was. But uh, we were talking about one of the parables, and they, they, were, they jumped to this one word and said, what, what about this, and what does this mean? Uh, what is the picture here? Uh, when we understand parables, it, not every little aspect of the parable is some kind of metaphor for what is happening in, in, in the big picture of it. All right, this idea that the man goes away for a long time, this is not any kind of proof that, that God is just sitting back, uh, relaxing in his cosmic uh, rocking chair and, and just not paying attention to what's going on to mankind. That's not what's happening. All right. The the idea is that he goes away, that he's away from his property. All right. So uh, that that's all that's happening there, and we actually see quite quite the difference, right? Uh, throughout all of uh, history, we see God very active. All right. So what he what the idea here is that. He is away from the property. The tenants are in charge of this thing. They're they're using it. And then verse 10, when the time came, some of your Bibles might even say when harvest time came, because it's it's the time to now use uh, what what has been done to this land. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. All right, so at, at the right time, he sent a servant. Now, what was this servant supposed to do? To communicate his will. Right? He sends the servant to, to bring this message. Uh, and the message of what he wanted to happen. So he's communicating his will. What does that sound like to you? Prophets, right? As we go through the Old Testament, we see God doing that. He, he, he is there. He's omnipresent, so he's all around, right? He's, he's not that he's like way far away. But he's showing himself in a different way. And so he's using prophets. And he sends the prophets. And even in the back of your bulletin, we have a couple of fill-in spots for you. Number one, prophets were sent to communicate God's will. These were people in the Old Testament who fit the bill. Right? Uh, by the way, if uh, I've said this many times, so you might have heard it already. But uh, if someone says that they're a prophet today or I have a message from the Lord... Uh, I, I always say, all right, as long as you let me fit you to the bill of the Old Testament prophets. In other words, if you're wrong, it gets to stone you. That's, that's the rules. No, but that's a joke. But uh, prophets were sent to communicate God's will. And that's what we see here. The servant, he goes and he, and he communicates this message that, that the owner wants something. He wants some of the fruit. Right, he would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. That's what he wants. Now, the tenants, they're, 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 they, should, they should listen to this, right? Because it's the owner, and he gets to say what, what goes. It's not that he's being unfair. This was a very common thing. If you lent out, that means that you get 
uh, a share of the profits. All right, so he's not being unfair and taking like their hard work and, and saying, well, I'm just going to benefit from it. And this was a very normal thing. But the tenants, they do something very abnormal. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. So instead of listening, they, they say, no, I don't want that. I'm not going to give the, the owner what, what he deserves. And I'm going to take this servant uh, who's done nothing against me, right? There's, it's not like the servant came in saying harsh words. He just delivered the message. And he gets beat and sent away empty-handed. Uh, this is very true to what we see throughout the Old Testament. Prophets who would come and bring the message of God. You know, a lot of times we think of prophets and we jump to like Samuel and Isaiah who, who people like to listen to. Uh, what about Jeremiah? Who was thrown in prison. Who, who you know, like didn't have a single person actually listen to his message throughout his entire ministry. What about Ezekiel and all the things he had to do and all the, the mocking that he went through? That, that's the picture here. The prophets who, who have the message of God and they, and they come and they bring it and the people don't want to listen. What does that sound like? Does that sound applicable to today? God's word is always applicable. These people, they don't, uh, the Pharisees, they aren't understanding the big picture. And so Jesus shows them, well, it's just like the prophets. Verse 11, and he sent another servant. And you think, all right, second chance. Maybe they'll listen this time. You know, they, maybe, maybe they've learned. Maybe, maybe they've grown. Maybe they'll listen. But they also beat him. And, they, and it says this interesting uh, phrase here, treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. We don't know exactly what that word means, treated him shamefully. We know that there's the idea of shame here, but what that actually physically looked like, we don't know. But the, the idea here is that it's escalated. And it's even worse than the first time. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. He sends that servant. It's an opportunity to repent, a second chance, and they do the same so what does he do? What is this owner supposed to do? Well, um, really, he had the right to, to do a couple things. Uh, if, if you look through um, on one of my shelves in there is Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah in Edersheim, uh, this huge 1,500-page book. He goes through all the cultural details, and he's got footnotes for everything. And, and he talks about this. And he says that one of the things that this uh, owner could have done, which would have been uh, something that most other owners, if they had some kind of issue with the tenants, and if there was a huge group of them, they would actually buy an army and send them in to, to get rid of these guys, to run them out. Uh, they would use force. And that's what the, the owner could have done here. Well, what does he do? What does he do to these people who are rebellious, who who are hateful and evil and, and violent. What does he do to them? Verse 13, Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? 
I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. He's going to send his own flesh and blood. His own son. He says, my beloved son. To these evil, corrupt, violent people. Now, we, we can clearly see the picture now, right? What is that? What does that look like? What is Jesus really trying to get across? He's saying, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm here, and this is what you're going to do to me. Even think about that. This is Jesus before the crucifixion, right? Talking about the crucifixion of what is going to happen. And he's still there. He doesn't say, this is what you would have done to me, but I'm out. Good luck. He doesn't say that. He says, this is what you're going to do to me. Maybe they will respect him. Why should they have respected him? Well, if we understand the cultural details here, he's talking uh, a son should have the same authority as his father. He's the representative. And while the servant still should have had that, uh, the idea of having the son, the heir, come in to these people and talk with them, uh, that, that was as if the father had come. All right, so th- they should have listened uh, they should have seen him as the owner of the vineyard. Uh, so maybe, the, the owner says to himself, maybe they will respect him. But what do they do? Well, they see him. Verse 14, the tenants, uh, the tenants saw him. What do they do? They start plotting immediately. This wasn't like a, a crime of passion, if you will. In the heat of the moment, they made a, a bad decision. They see him, and they say to themselves, here's the plan. Here's the plan. This is what we're going to do. And what do they say? This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. I want you to see the evilness of this. Just the... the just bold-faced evil that is in these words. It's not that they don't recognize Him. It's not that they don't know Him. They look at Him and they say to themselves, look, it's the heir. They know exactly who He is. And still, they're going to go through with this. And that's us. That's us. That's the picture of mankind. And like I said, this is Jesus taking a step back and showing them the grand scope of what is happening. The God of the universe putting on human flesh and saying, here I am. I'm ready to offer peace. And what do we do? Mankind, what do we do? We betray our Creator and kill Him. And we know who He is. Right? We, we know Romans 1. Uh, we know general revelation. We have special revelation, which means word directly from God. That's the Bible. We have general revelation. That's things that we see. The fact that you could even see each other this morning and know that someone created you. We can know that God exists and that He's powerful. And, and we have that, and still we say, we look at this heir, we know who He is, I'm going to kill Him. And you might say, well, I wasn't there, Pastor Dean. I wasn't there. Why, why are you picking on me? I didn't do it. 
Yeah, you did. We each do. When we reject Jesus. What is the nature of sin? It's rejecting God. If you have your your bulletins there, sin is the result of ignoring God's will. While we have messengers who have come, the servants who have delivered the will of God to us, we have the word of God. We even have God himself putting on human flesh, Jesus Christ, coming and showing us what God wants from us. And still, we, today, reject him when we sin. Romans 1, let's turn there very quickly. This kind of changed my life when I understood this. Romans chapter 1. Starting at verse 28, you know, this beautiful passage about what really the, the history, the documenting of sin, and then verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. You ask yourself, what is sin? It's a disapproval of God. And it starts in your mind. It's not, it's not just that physical act. It's not just when you yell at your wife. It's not just when you decide, well, it's easier to tell this lie. It's not just that. It's what you say in your mind and in your heart. It's that saying, I know what God wants. I know what he desires of me. We know it from the word. We know it from our conscience. And saying, who, who gives you the right? What authority do you have? I'm going to do it my way. That's what sin is. It's the disapproval of God in your mind. That's what he says here. Since they did not see fit, didn't think it was right to acknowledge God. To, to say, I, I approve of you. And then they have all this effects of sin. That is the result. Sin is the result of ignoring God's will. And that's what these people do. They take God Almighty, Jesus Christ, and they crucify Him. And that's what we do every time we sin. We disapprove of God. Let's keep on going. Or verse 14, when the tenants saw him, they said, Let's, uh, they said to themselves, as the heir, let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. In other words, they wanted something to gain out of it. They were thinking of their own wants, desires before uh, the, the will of God. Verse 15, and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? What, what is the consequence of sin? That's essentially what Jesus is saying. What, what, what is the result? And this is really something that we've seen many times as we've gone through the parables, right? The, the parable of the lost son. What was the result of his sin? His, his sin of, of wanting and, and, and trying to find satisfaction in anything but the father. And he goes out into the land and uh, you know, lives this reckless life. What happened to him? Anything good? No. What is the result of sin? This is the result of sin. Surely, uh, or, um, 
uh, verse 16, he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Another moment for us to step back. What is God doing in the grand scope of things? He has sent prophets. He sent prophets to give Israel, not the world, specifically his people, Israel. Uh, he, he says, all right, I'm going to give you all these prophecies. I'm going to communicate my will to you. They beat him, rejected him, rebelled, right, over and over and over again. Here, who did Jesus, or uh, who did God send Jesus to? Well, yes, the world, but in, in specifically here, to Israel. Do they listen? No, we just read, right? They, they kill him. What is happening here? This is God telling them things are changing. Things are changing. I have gone time and time and time again. I have been long-suffering and I've ministered to you, but things are changing. I will keep my promises to you. All right, we know that some of the promises that God made to Israel, those didn't have strings on them. There were no conditions. Right, so God will do those things. But here he's saying, all right, I'm going to focus elsewhere. I'm going to open up the gates. All right, I will destroy those tenants. A lot of theologians think that's talking about A.D. 63 when Jerusalem fell. All right. Um, I will destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Who has he given it to? To us. To the world. To, to the Gentiles who the Israelites looked at as lower. Right? God says, I'm going to now, because you've rejected me, I'm going to open up the gates. It's going to the world. This was the will of God. Right, so a little bit of positive in this really hard story, right? When they heard this, they said, surely not. This is, this is, the, uh, this is not the tenants talking anymore. The parable is now over, and, and the Pharisees are listening to this, and they get this one, which is very interesting to me because a lot of times it goes completely over their heads, and they're going, I have no idea what Jesus just said. But here, they get it. This one really hit home for them, and it is a touchy subject. Uh, we see an exclamation point in there. By the way, in the Greek, there's no exclamation points. But because of the emphasis of the word, we know that they are being hostile about this. That's why they have an ex, uh, exclamation point in there. Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, so he, just imagine this picture of what's happening. He gives this parable about how you've rejected me over and over and over again. You're going to kill me. And so uh, I'm going to focus elsewhere, and I'm going to open up the gates, I'm going to go to others, and I'll let them have the gospel. And, and these people are ticked, and they're angry, and they're saying, surely not, and he just looks at them. And I like what it says here, he looked directly at them. Jesus is looking at them in the eyes, and he says, all right, well, what does this mean then? And he quotes uh, one of the Psalms here, and he says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, we, we talked about cornerstones quite a bit, so we won't dive into that. But what he's saying is, you're rejecting me. I wanted to have you. My arms are wide open, right? I, I want to have you. I've been preaching to you. What do you think the last three years have been? I've been ministering to you. And you reject me. And I know you're going to kill me. And then he says these words that are 
Pretty scary, actually, when you think about it. Verse 18, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. What is he saying? He's saying this is, this is the judgment for sin. This is the judgment of rejecting me. This is the judgment of when you say, there's Jesus. This is what he wants for me. But this is sin, and I want that. That's what this is about. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And really, we have two different sides to this. Now, you might look at that and say, broken to pieces, that sounds terrible. But what he's saying is that you will be humbled. You know, we, we've been going through Psalm 119 the last two weeks in our, in our reading. It's talking about that love for God's word. Uh, David said last week, the law of the Lord is my delight. When we read God's word, it should break us. It should humble us. It should reveal to us that there is sin in our life and we need to choose God. Whatever that situation is, whether, whether you're put in a situation where you are clearly given a choice between uh, knowing what is right and doing what God wants for you or choosing the sin, or whether it's just something in your life and you're, you're wondering, all right, well, should I do this or should I not do this? When you think about those, uh, you should think about God's word. Run to God's word. And that should break you. It should humble you. Or, if it doesn't do that, it will do something to you. We know that. God's word does not come back void, right? We know that. That's scripture. It's either going to break you or it's going to crush you. He says... And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Uh, uh, I was reading the, the new CSB Bible, and it has grind him to powder. That's, that's what could happen. There's judgment. We talked about that last week even. Uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is that? That's hell. That's a real place. That's a result of sin. So for us, today, we have to ask ourselves these questions. Are we really listening to God's will? We say it a lot, right? We're talking to people and we're just, well, I just want to know what God's will is for me. You know, I'm trying to find that. I don't know. You know, we talk about it as like this roadmap for our life. Uh, I will tell you, God's will is very clear and it's right here. We can know it. It's not something that we have to search for. We, we, can, we can find it right here. We know what God wants for us in many ways. We find it in his word. But are we going to listen to it or are we going to ignore it? That, that's what sin is. It's looking at what God wants for us, knowing that, and seeing it in his word, and being convicted by the Holy Spirit of it, and saying, I don't want to do that. I'm going to do my own thing. I disapprove of God. Or is that what we're going to do? Are we going to ignore it? And the question really comes down to that last verse. Will we be broken by God's word or will, be, will, or will we be crushed by it? Broken or crushed. Those are the two options that we have. Will you be humbled and listen and obey and enjoy God's favor as he says even to uh, uh, the, the, uh, the parable of the servants there when he's talking about enter into my joy well done thou good and faithful servant. Or will we be crushed? Will we face judgment? That's really what we have. So when we think about 
in our lives. What, whatever the sin is in, in our life, and that's uh, number three, the word of God will either break you or destroy you. Uh, uh, that's the fill in there, number three. The word of God will either break you or destroy you. But when you're going through, even this week, and you're saying, all right, you're given choice, and you know it. Sin, choosing God. This is the picture. This is the picture. Are you going to uh, listen, or are you going to reject him and become like one of these tenants who rejects him and kills him all over again? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this word. I thank you that it's not mine. Uh, Lord, that it is the word of Jesus. And I pray that we would take it as that. That it is not something that we should just, ah, it's good to pay attention to this and, and to maybe learn a few things from it. This is you speaking to us. This is your word. This is your will. God, I pray that you would help us to follow your will, that we would know it, that when we are given that choice in our hearts of what to do, whether we should sin and disapprove of you or whether we should follow after you, God, I pray that you would help us to make the right call on that, that you would use your Holy Spirit to guide us into truth and to convict us of sin. Lord, I pray that for those in this room who who maybe there's something going on in our lives, some kind of habit, something that we, we do on a regular basis, I pray that you would reveal that to us. As, as David says in Psalm 51, I, I pray that you would reveal any wicked way in us, that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, I pray that if there, there's some reason that we need to talk to someone, uh, of ask for help, or uh, we just need some accountability, I pray that you would give us boldness to do that. Uh, and Lord, that uh, for those who might be reached out to, that uh, they would be humble, uh, that they would not judge. Lord, we're all sinners. Lord, I know my own heart. I know how much I sin this week. God, I pray that you would help me to repent of that, that I would approve of you. Lord, I pray the same for each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that we would not be a church that just talks about sin, but that we would be a church that actually fights it. That we would actually be trying to live the Christian life of fighting sin and following after Christ. Lord, I pray that we would be good tenants. That when we hear your word, uh, when we read it, Lord, that we would, we would actually do it. We would follow it because you are the owner and you have the authority. Lord, we don't have to question it. We don't have to ask you by what authority do you do these things. What gives you the right? You are our maker. And you have every right to tell us what to do, how to think. And Lord, I, I pray that we would glorify you even in our thoughts. Lord, I ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.